Hey. <laughs> Thought there was a few more minutes on that bad boy, but apparently not. All right, so tonight I'm going to be um, talking from Scripture in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, and it says this. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, this is Paul talking, not me, just so you guys know, um, I give each of you this warning. Do not think that you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Can we all just pray real quick? Um, God, tonight I pray that as we get into this topic, Lord, that you would speak through me, Lord, that you would speak clearly, and Lord, that you would lead all of our hearts exactly where you want us to go, God. You are so good, and we just thank you for the cross. We thank you for everything you've done. In your name, amen. All right got one of these to play with tonight so let's just get excited about it so i am michael i am 23 years old i was born on the 10th of the 10th 1994 in Dusseldorf hospital which is the greatest place on earth not the hospital but just the whole area i love it i get passionate about it it's my homeland you know i've moved to tauranga now and apparently you guys don't get that excited about Dusseldorf. i don't know what that's about like it's genuinely the greatest place on earth We could talk about it after. <laughs> um, but I thought, you know, like, I actually haven't been at BBC that long, and so I thought that I'd just share a little bit about myself and about how I came to be here and about kind of the, the journey that God's taken me on. And so I was obviously born in Dotsuroa, went through all my schooling in Dotsuroa, and I, um, I grew up in a Christian family. My parents went to a little brethren church and... Um, and and so from a young age, I learned about who God was. I learned about all these Bible stories, and and you know, all going growing up through um, kids' church, Sunday school, whatever you want to call it. And um, as I got older, I started to kind of develop this own faith of my own. I started to develop my own opinions on, um, for myself. But I kind of got to this place where I thought, you know, I knew enough about God. Now God just had to start doing stuff for me. God just had to start doing stuff for me. And so as I got older, I actually started getting sicker. Now I was born, uh, when I was five years old, I was diagnosed with a rare kidney disease, which means that I have cysts on my kidneys. Um, and so growing up my whole life, there was this kind of whole thing going on that yep, you're getting older and everyone's looking at their futures, but for you, you're getting sicker. And so how was that all gonna play out? And so when I got further away, all right, it's a new vest. I'm excited about it. I thought I'd wear my new vest. I can just take it off if that's a problem. Okay, Darren. Um, <laughs> feel discouraged about my vest. Um, <laughs> okay, cool man. Um, so yeah, I was growing up through school, started to develop this thing, but I was that kid at youth group that knew all the right answers. Like I felt like we'd have a small group of like six of us, but it was really just me and the small group leader because like I could speak on behalf of the small group because I was the kid that knew all the right answers. So that was me growing up through high school and then kind of went through this phase where it turns out that just because I knew all the answers, God didn't actually just give me everything that I wanted. And so I was confused. My theology was broken. And so I kind of went and did whatever I wanted, but God is faithful and um, drew me back to himself. And so I ended up in this uh, church called Otorua Elam, where God really got a hold of my life and, and really changed it, um, which is incredible. So on this journey, I, um, I tried a few different jobs and I ended up in 
um, ended up doing an internship and once God kind of started getting a hold of my life and but I could only do the internship for about a semester because I had to go on dialysis and so for those of you that haven't been on dialysis if you don't have to don't do it it's not a great time I had to do it three times a day every single day because it was a special form of dialysis and then after only four months I ended up getting a kidney transplant so I've been on this massive journey and God's been taking me on this massive journey I never slide of that. Oh, that's my family. Oh, that's me getting a kidney transplant. You know when you like fall asleep with headphones and then you get all tangled up in them? It was like that, but like way worse. <laughs> so that was me. Um, what else do I got on here? Oh yeah, so when I finished the internship, um, I got asked if I wanted to kind of step in and, and take on the role of being the youth pastor. And so I did that for two years. And then at the end um, of that, at the end of last year, me and my wife Bailey, who was singing tonight, got married click. Oh, wrong slide again. I thought that was going to be a wedding photo. Oh, there's the wedding photo. And so that was on the 11th of November last year. We got married. It was a great day. If you haven't done it, you should do it. And um, not to my wife, to another lady woman. Um, and then um, God opened up some doors and it was kind of like, okay, Michael and Bailey, what do you guys want to do? Where do you guys want to go? What's happening? And so um, through a series of events, I found out about BBC and kind of have made my way over here. And this was us moving house in March. And that was uh, how we got here. So that's a little bit about who I am. I'm going to kind of refer back to that a little bit as we go. But So we're going through this series called the Soapbox Series. And, and what that was, if you didn't know, back in the day, people used to get a little box and they used to walk into the town square and pretty much just have a moan, really. You know, like used to kind of pick whatever they wanted, just have a moan and see if they could convince people about their moan. And so normally when you're kind of doing a series at church, you, you get given what you're going to talk about, like they're like, these are the verses, you have to exegete, go and do that, and you know, you just kind of have to wrestle these verses out and kind of commit to it. Well, this was way different. This was just like, just talk about what you're passionate about. And I was like, well, I'm passionate about lots of things, like, I don't know. And so I've actually really found this series and this prep quite hard, because I feel like God puts lots of things on my heart. And so I was kind of thinking about it, and I was like, oh, what could I talk about? I could talk about freedom in Christ, or I could talk about God's grace, or I could talk about why church is so important. And then I really felt over the course of this last week, especially that God gave me this word, and this word is authenticity. This word is authenticity. See, I felt like God was saying to me, you could talk about all these things, Michael, but if people don't know who I am and who they are, um, before me, then it's not going to really make a difference. And I'm not trying to then imply that you don't know who God is, but I felt like this is what God was telling me to talk about. So tonight I'm going to talk about authenticity. Um, Romans, 3, uh, Romans 12 verse 3 says this, Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you, that's everyone in this room, this warning. Do not think, of, uh, do not think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourself by the faith God has given us. I don't know if you guys were here a few Sundays ago, but Monica did this really incredible sermon in her section of the, the book of James she was doing um, on wisdom from above. And in that, she used this really cool analogy, and it's really stuck with me. And she talked about gliders, I'm pretty sure, right? That's right, gliders. Paragliders, yeah. And she said that the most dangerous paragliders are the ones that have been paragliding for about 100 hours. And I thought, man, that's incredible. And she said, it's not the ones that are first starting. The ones that are first starting, they're kind of all good. They're nervous. They're not risk takers. They're just learning how to do it. 
And it's not the old mates that have been doing it for ages. Like, they've got it on lock. It's these guys that, like, um, I think she used the phrase, know enough to think they know it all. They know enough to think that they know it all. And I kind of been thinking about that as I was preparing this, and I feel like that's actually probably a really good representation of the church today, is that we all just know enough to think that we know it all. Um, during one of my one of my jobs while I was in working in Dusseldorf, I was a um, working as like a tech or a, you know with technical stuff, and one of these jobs they gave me the responsibility of putting together the sound system and fitting out this room and making it all work really, really well, and I got, had only been working there for like a month, but I got really proud, obviously, because that's what you do when you're young, and I put it all together, and I got it all right, and I was like really happy with it, and then I decided I was going to start tattooing with it, and so like I started like fiddling around with it, and I ended up t accidentally turning all the microphones on at the same time, and so like, I don't know if you've heard it, but like when the sound system just screams like real, real loud, and everyone looks at the sound guy real awkwardly and goes, what are you doing, guy at the back? Um, but I ended up blowing up half the sound system. And that was like, because for me, I knew enough to think that I knew it all. I knew enough to think that I knew it all. And the same thing happened to me when I started being a youth pastor. You know, I took a look at this job and I'd done an internship and God had just done something real radical in my life. And I kind of jumped into this position where I was like, yeah, man, I'm ready to take on this youth group. I know heaps about Jesus. I know these Bible stories from when I was growing up. You know, like for me, I looked at it and I was like, oh, I have a little bit of initiative. I feel like I got some gifts and discernment. You know, I feel like I'm a good problem solver. Um, I'm, a, I'm quite approachable. You know, I can have a yarn. I can spin a yarn, chew the fat, as some people say. You know, really get the pastoral side going. You know, like I'm pretty much God's gift to this youth group, really, is like what I felt like was happening. But the reality was I was really proud and I was really probably bitter with the guy that had been there before. You know, I thought that, he hadn't done a great job and that I needed to come in and clean this town up, you know, so to speak. You know, I was self-righteous. Um, I wasn't actually loving Jesus that much, you know, like I wasn't in the word. I wasn't pursuing God and I wasn't praying. You know, I just wanted to do this thing. I wanted to turn it around and I wanted it to all be me. But I think it's crazy how actually for each of us, we can think of a time in our lives where we've done that where we've thought way too highly of ourselves, where we've rated ourselves way too much and actually God had, has had to come in and humble us. It's called being self-aware. And that's what I want to talk about tonight, is being self-aware. Self-aware, according to Google, which is super reliable and I rely on it all the time, says that self-awareness is having a conscious knowledge of your own character and feelings. Have a conscious knowledge of your own character and feelings. Being self-aware means that we have to ask ourselves the hard questions in life. The hard questions. I think that Christians should be the most self-aware people on the planet because we're charged with this job of reaching the lost and encouraging one another in their relationship with Jesus. But if we don't really know how we're doing and we don't know where we're really at, the only thing that we're going to do is hurt people. The only thing we're going to do is um, be called hypocrites. And I think that the church today gets called hypocrites way too much. Um, if we're not aware of our weaknesses. I remember talking to this young person one day and kind of talking to them about these ideas. And it was just kind of like they had this attitude of, well, I think I'll just sort this out when I get a bit older. You know, like, I'll just do this now and I'll just embrace 
the way I'm living now. And I'll just sort these things out when I'm older. But God wants us to be the most self-aware. He wants us to be wise. He literally gave us whole books in the Bible that talk about how we learn from other people's mistakes. I remember when I was 19 and God really got a hold of my life and I just couldn't read the Bible. Like I'd look at it and I'd read like a page, oh, a page, oh gosh. I would read like a word, (laughs) more like, and get distracted and then go, oh man, I wonder what this word means or, you know, like, what has this got to do? And then link it to some random thing in my head. And I actually just had to stop and go, God, can you just speak to me right now? God, can you clear my mind? Can you give me, um, I guess, clarity? Can you illuminate um, your word to me so I can actually understand and I can follow you? But I could never do that if I wasn't being aware that it was a struggle in the first place, if God didn't show me that that was a struggle in the first place. So in other words, and to put it super bluntly because I love it, where are we really at? You know, where are you really at? You know, how do your friends and your family actually view you? Do you know? Do you know how you're actually viewed as a person? What is the state of your relationship with God? Have you thought about it? You know, have you, have you been challenged by your, by your love for Jesus? You know, what are your strengths? You know, I think God gives all of us strengths and, you know, he gives us gifts. I think the Bible's really clear, but I think at the same time, God is also really clear that we have weaknesses as well. Do you know what your weaknesses are? I know that for me, I don't really like to think about my weaknesses. I remember being in a job interview and they asked me what my weaknesses was and I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't have any. No. <laughs> But I thought it straight up because I'm proud and I need God to humble me. And so like, before we kind of go on with the rest of this talk, because everything I do kind of links back to that, I just really want to pray for us right now just as, as the people of Christ and, you know, as God, that he would actually really reveal stuff to us that, that we would look at ourselves. And I love that verse in Romans. I'll go back to it. It says that we wouldn't think so highly of ourselves, that we'd be honest in our evaluation so we could actually see what God needs to do and where we need to grow and how we can love God better and how we can love his people better. Can you pray with me? Lord God, you are so good. Lord, we thank you that because of the cross, God, because of everything that you have done, Lord, we can stand humbled, Lord, forgiven and loved. God, I pray tonight that you would reveal things to, um, to us about ourselves. God, areas in our lives that um, are lacking God, maybe areas that we didn't know were there. God, that you would um, enable us to just look at ourselves really honestly. Lord, I pray that you would just take our pride away. Lord, you would take um, our arrogance away. Lord, and you would just let us see ourselves for who we really are. Lord, that we'd be looking in a really clear mirror. Lord, and because of that, we can love you and we can love others better. Amen. All right. That's my first point. The second point is this, is that we need others to be honest with us. How many, I'm not speaking at youth group, how many of you guys have your driver's license? Probably everyone. Um, I remember when I did my defensive driving license, I remember they talked about having blind spots. If you don't know what a blind spot is, it's the part in the car where unless you turn your head, you can't see it. And it comes in really handy when you go to change lanes. Um, The reality is we all have blind spots. You know, there's always things in ourselves that we just can't see. And so it's really hard to be self-aware and be really diligent about this thing of, you know, being authentic when we just genuinely sometimes can't see the things in our lives. Like, we just can't. 
And so for me, I love this scripture. There's these two dudes, uh, Paul and Peter. Don't know if you heard of them. They're pretty influential. But um, Peter, he followed Jesus. He was a disciple of Jesus. He was a disciple of God himself walking around on earth. And I love the story of Peter because Peter was like a bit of a fool, to be honest. And God still uses him and enables him to do some incredible things. And for me, I'm like so humbled by that because I make mistakes all the time. And then you got this guy, Paul. Paul was like the exact opposite. Paul didn't want to follow Jesus. And then Jesus literally like got a hold of his life in, in this radical thing, um, got him to follow him and do these radical miracles. And stuff. No, not a very good explanation, but it's not really that important. But um, in Galatians chapter 1, we read this conversation. You know, Paul's given us the lowdown. He's filling us in on what's happened. And so we read that after Paul got converted, that he had to wait about three years before he could kind of jump into ministry. You know, he had to go through this phase because Christians still thought he was going to kill them. You know, like I understand there's a little bit of a stand down period if that's your reputation. So like Paul had to wait. And then after about three years, he goes and he meets with uh, Peter, James and John. And they have this conversation. And it's essentially those three weighing up whether Paul was ready for ministry. And so after a conversation, I think it says about 14 days, they hung out and had this conversation. He was ready. And they said, yep, we're going to go and we're going to talk to the Jews. You're going to go and talk to the Gentiles or the others, other category. And um, so that's all good. They've kind of set ways. And then he says, but continue to um, look after the poor. And he was like, yeah, I wanted to do that anyway. So that's all good. And then in chapter two, it's like we see this radical like dog leg in the conversation. It's, it's weird. It seems like they're all like best friends. They're all like, yeah, we're going to do this ministry together. I'm excited about it. And then in chapter 2, verse 11, Paul says this, but when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because what he did was very wrong. Man, it's pretty radical. In another translation of the Bible, it says that he stood condemned for what he had done. Only a little bit before that, he's talking about how good a mates they are. And now he's like, no, nah, but I had to go talk to him to his face and call him out because he was wrong. Peter had missed the mark. Peter had done something that was radical and, and wrong, and, and he needed someone to talk to him about it. Now, for whatever, um, for whatever reason, Peter had decided that he didn't want to end, eat with the Gentiles anymore. You know, he just wanted to hang out with the Jews. And to be honest, the Bible says he was just kind of being racist. He didn't want to hang out with people that weren't, um, weren't Jewish. And so Paul, his friend, had to step in and say something about it. He had to say something about it. So often we cruise through life looking at ourselves, maybe trying to be super self-aware, but we don't have anyone else that's looking at our blind spots, that's actually there to encourage us in the areas that we're weak in. You know, if Paul needed to go and do this for Peter, then I know that I need people to do this for me. Bailey and I just spent the weekend in Topol. We went to a marriage retreat because we got married, and apparently that's what you do. My parents paid for it. It was pretty cool. But what I love, like, it was really good. I learned that I'm not a very good husband. I've got lots of things I need to work on. But, like, <laughs> it was cool. Great book recommendations. <laughs> um, but I was actually going to say... Um, I think that this is an incredible thing. This company, it's called Family Life or this organization, whatever you want to call it, they've recognized that we don't do marriage very well. 
and it's actually a massive area where we're struggling. And so they've set up this thing so that they can encourage husbands and wives to do marriage well. They sit there and they, and they call it. It's, it's not a particularly easy thing to listen to sometimes when you get told that you haven't done a good job. But for the sake of our marriage, I know that it was worth it because I think that we've got lots of things in place now to encourage us and, and to help us along the journey. So I have a question for you. Is who is the Paul in your life? Do you have a friend that's actually going to talk to you about the things that, are, that you're not doing well? You know, maybe it's these things that you just can't see. Do you actually have someone in your life that you know will talk to you? Who is in the trench of life with you because life is hard? Do you have someone that you are in a friendship with or a relationship with that you can be completely open and honest with how you're actually doing? You see, I believe God made us to be in community. He designed us to be in community. We're made in the image of God, which means we're made in the image of the Trinity, which means we're designed to be in community. We can't do life by ourselves. And so we can recognize in ourselves that um, there are things that we need to change. And then we can even have a buddy you know, that's going to talk to us and challenge us about the things maybe that we can't see. But where I kind of want to round this off is that we actually need to let God change us. You know, you can be super aware of all your issues and just do nothing about it. I find that incredible. I remember, um, well, I used to know this guy who, who led a church and he had some incredible strengths, man. Like the things that he was good at, he was so good at. He could preach, and when he preached, he just like summoned your attention and like gave incredible words. And when it came to creative stuff, man, I would always go to him and be like, how do you think we should get this to look? And what do you think we should do here? And how do we make people feel welcome? And all these kinds of things in, in, a, in a foyer because, you know, you can set up things in a creative way and it just helps with an atmosphere. He was incredible at it. But when it came to pastoral care, when it came to going and visiting people in hospital or, you know, really helping people when they were sick or when their relationships were struggling or whatever, he, he found it really hard and he didn't like to do it. But he knew that he wasn't good at it. He, he had evaluated himself and he had seen in himself that this was an area that he was not good at. But then he tried to do everything he could to not get better at it. He put teams in place. He did all these things. And at the end of the day, I can honestly tell you, the church really suffered because of that. It's personal experience. I remember when I was um, 13 years old and I got to youth group and I wanted to join the music team and play guitar in it. I was real excited. And I remember the music director or the guy in charge of the band or whatever, he was like, okay, Michael, but at the start of every band practice, we're going to have um, a Bible study. And I was like, oh, I don't know how to study the Bible. I better do some research. So I went home and got out like my Bible and then maybe even like my kid's Bible to look super spiritual. So I had like double Bibles going on and like highlighting some stuff. And I was like, I remember going to that band practice on a Tuesday night and I was prepped. Like I was ready to go. I was ready to convert the whole band. And then, you know, so this guy obviously looked at me and he was like, oh, yeah, okay, Michael, you can share tonight. And I unleashed this you know, fury of a sermon about something. I can't even remember. No, it probably wasn't like that. I was probably real scared. And, um, <laughs> but I recognized that to be a part of a worship team, I needed, to, um, I needed to know who God was. I needed to be in this word. I needed to be praying. These are all the values that he set out in front of me, and he made it really clear. But 
Do you think that because of that, I continued on and reading my Bible and praying and doing all these things? Nah, I'd prepared my sermon for five, the last well, next five years. You know, I didn't, don't think I opened my Bible again. And I can honestly say, like, I didn't know who God was because of that. I just wasn't interested. All I wanted to do was play. All I wanted to do was be involved without actually letting God change me and actually know who God was. Um, I want to just kind of round it kind of down here by talking about... Um, it's funny. We, um, when we were at this thing at the weekend... Oh, when Bailey and I first got married, so we got married and the house we lived in was out Lake Okataka, which was a real beautiful spot, but then we just moved into this house in Tauranga. And when we moved into this house, we looked at the curtains and there was like blood all over the curtains. Now, I don't know how blood got on the curtains, and to be honest, I still don't know. But like, so I haven't done research into it as well, I'm like trying to say. But like, I remember like for me, like curtains are open most of the time, like all good, <laughs> like, you know, like, I didn't really care. But for Bailey, like, this was grim. Like, this was so disgusting. Like, how can we have curtains? <laughs> for everyone? Okay. Okay, cool. Um, it's just a good note. Blind, blind spot added. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so she just kind of boosted down to Kmart because, you know, just married, we have to go to Kmart for curtains. And um, she got some stuff and she set up some new curtains in our... Um, in our bedroom. And for me, like, I just wasn't stoked about it. Like, I was like, oh man, do we really need to do this? Do we need curtains? Like, all this kind of stuff. Because, yeah, apparently we do. Another thing added. Um, but, you know, for me, I was like, it became this real tension and it blew up into something real massive. And I remember just thinking, oh my goodness, we just had an argument about curtains. Like, are you serious? This is ridiculous. And then we went to this marriage thing and I was getting ready to like, you know, hear that I was real awesome and then it turns out that I'm not that awesome. But like on one of the sessions at this marriage thing, it talked about conflict and I was kind of like, oh yeah, here we go. Can't wait to be able to deal with some conflict. And then the guy got up and he started talking about curtains <laughs> and he was like, yeah, we had this massive argument about curtains this time and I ended up walking home for six hours or something. And like it was, yeah, real intense, but the reason I say that is because so often, you know, we can evaluate stuff in our lives and, and we can even have people speak into our lives about stuff. But to be honest, we just feel real useless and we feel real alone. And like, I love that I was just thinking about it before, like literally still writing the sermon as I was sitting there in that last song. King David says this in Psalm 42. He says, why am I so discouraged? Why am I so sad? I put my hope in God and I'll praise him again, my Savior, my God. But now I'm deeply discouraged. And he's going through this loop in his head of, like, I know that God's good. I know that he's God. I know that he's in control of these situations, but still just kind of feel useless. Like, still just kind of don't feel right. I feel so alone in this. And what I'm trying to say with the story about curtains is that you're not alone in feeling not good enough, you know? Like I thought I was the only person who had an issue with curtains. Turns out I'm not. This other guy, old mate, had an issue with curtains. Yes, one other. But, you know, like so often we can look at ourselves and we can feel like, oh man, no one else struggles with this. Or, you know, we can feel like no one, oh, everyone else has someone speaking into their life and I don't. Or, you know, or I'm the only person that's recognizing all these issues in my life, but I'm the only one who's actually struggling to do anything about this. You know, I want to really encourage you guys tonight. I, I don't know, like we haven't had a conversation about this, but I'm hoping that Ben will just kind of follow my lead here. 
But I was kind of thinking, man, it'd be really cool to um, get the band back up and have this cool time of ministry where people just come and repent of their sins and, you know, we all love curtains together and all this kind of stuff. But actually, I think that God just wants us to be the body of Christ tonight. And so I am going to ask the band to get up and play, but to be honest, I think that God wants us to be authentic. He wants us to be real, not just with the one pastor at the front of the room, but just with each other. And so tonight, maybe there's an area in your life that you're really struggling. Maybe you know that you should read your Bible and you know that you should pray and you just don't want to. And you know in yourself that you just don't want to. And maybe you need someone to pray for you and be like, man, can you pray that I just want to? That I just want to start on this journey? You know, maybe your, your marriage is struggling or maybe you've got friendships or conflict at work or whatever. I just really want to encourage you guys tonight to, if that's you, to try and break up into little groups maybe to where you're sitting and, and just be real honest with each other. I think that when the church starts actually acting like the church, that God's going to do some radical things. And so if you feel comfortable with that, that is. But I encourage you to do it at the same time because I think it'll be good. Um, yeah, so I'm just going to pray. <laughs> and then uh, we'll do that. Cool. Um, Lord God, you are so good. God, we thank you so much um, that you came to earth, you lived a sinless life, Lord, that you were nailed to a cross, Lord, for all of our brokenness, Lord, for every place in our life where we didn't miss, um, make the mark, Lord, where every place in our life where we've sinned, Lord, and that you've came and you've come with restoration and love and, and beauty and joy. God, I just pray tonight that, um, Lord, that you would overflow our hearts with just honesty, Lord, and just a desire to want to share. God, I know that you want us to be your bride, God, you want us to be um, the image of your son. And so, God, I pray tonight that if there's anything in us that is putting up walls or, um, Lord, just blocking people out, Lord, that you would just take that all away, Lord, supernaturally, so that it doesn't make sense to us, God, that we would start to know one another, Lord, we would start to love one another, and we would start to actually care for one another. It's through your beautiful name I pray.